it's, we're reading from uh, Luke's Gospel today, so we're reading at chapter 7 on page 1035. So Luke chapter 7 on page 1035. And we're starting at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was ill and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation, and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowds, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such faith even in Israel. When the men who'd been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. I started working life as a graphic artist, then became a teacher in a secondary school, then became a missionary in the Middle East, then became a minister, not Anglican, then became a mission leader. So for 40 years, I've been exposed to how the church in the global south do it. And by the way, that is the majority world. And for me, particularly um, with exposure to Middle Eastern Christianity, My biggest culture shock coming back to this country was not the culture, but the church. And we in the West so often feel Christianity as a Western religion that sort of got its act together somewhere in Northern Europe. It's actually a Middle Eastern faith. And it operates very differently. I remember a church in Jordan, an unresolved issue was being yelled out just outside the front door while the church were gathering among ladies. Phoebe and Syntyche, letters of the Apostle Paul. They resolved everything and then, and in they came. But they didn't bring it in to fellowship. 
How un-British is that to have it out? <laughs> Everyone in the Middle East goes to a service expecting to say something. There's almost disappointment if the preacher turns up. <laughs> now, think of the letters of the Apostle Paul, an order that he spoke of in that context, because it was prone to get out of hand. It was a mess. And we need to be careful not to assert the order for order's sake. He was asserting order because there was a godly mess, which wasn't bad, needed control. Are you with that? Whereas for us, Anglo-Saxon, Germanic, Nordic nations, order becomes <clears throat> control. And there can be panic in the West when the speaker doesn't show up. Well, there's no one to break bread. The Lord whispered this morning that I needed to bring some notes. Hello. I'm just taking time, and I'm, I'm not wanting to patronize you guys as Western people. But I'm with, oh dear, if I mention his name, it'll age me, and you would, half of you wouldn't know him. Sometimes persecution has the effect of throwing everything into the air for believers. And what's real comes back down. And so as I travel around, I'll be speaking at Keswick on this week sometime, but Wednesday, Thursday. As I travel around the country, I pray for the demise, not of Christianity, but institutionalized Christianity. I don't know if anybody listened to the Sunday program this morning, but even Pope Francis is coming in for it big time in the neck from people who are more interested in our way of doing things. And how can somebody say, but how was it at the beginning? What did the master say? Where is this tradition in what the master said? And like Jesus, he's receiving the same treatment. Somebody else came up to me during the service, and I'm not sure why, and if they knew I was to speak. And they said the Lord's whispered to them, 
that this is like a well for us to be fed and watered in God. But it's not to remain with us. We don't exist for our own ends, either individually or as a people. We exist for our non-members. The church exists for non-members. The church is not the kingdom of God. The church is a portal, a welcome mat for the kingdom of God. It's not about us. There's a job to do. I, I think I've told you I was speaking one time at uh, Bolton Pentecostal Church, BP. Please yourself. Um, and I was making this point about the church, the local church is a filling station. <laughs> so what's, what's your church, BP? <laughs> I'm a Texaco man myself. <laughs> so, Father, we pray again that you will fill your people and that you would send us out in the power <laughs> of your spirit to live and to work for your praise and glory. Amen. Now, I mentioned that somebody came up and spoke to me because, and the person who it was knows who they are, and I, I just, all I could think to say was spot on because they preached, they said to me what I'm about to say to you. <laughs> and it's like, a little bit of confirmation, perhaps. So if you'd like to keep your Bible open, let's um, look at uh, what went on in Luke 7 and 1 to 10. Jesus entered a place um, not very well known at all, you know. It could be somewhere around here, really. Preston's known, but... Uh, Did you know that Capernaum is Kafir Nahum? Kafir Nahum is the Hebrew name. Well, it's actually in Arabic as well. Kafir is the village. Have you heard of Nahum? Nahum, minor prophet. That's where he was born. They named the village after him. So Jesus is in a very Jewish place, a very local place. And verse 2, a centurion's servant was sick and ready to die, seriously ill. And quite a Middle Eastern practice um, that they call being a wasta. A wasta is sending somebody to go between you and the person you want to deal with. A go-between. So the centurion sends his servant. Now what was a centurion? A centurion was an officer in charge of a hundred soldiers. Quite an, a responsible job. 
The centurion was a Roman, he was an Italian, he was an immigrant. Uh oh, <laughs> Nigel Farage, this has been long, going on longer than you think. <coughs> he was an economic migrant, whatever you want to call it, a transient migrant based with the uh, Roman army. He was a Gentile. He was from the other. He was from outside. He was not local in any way. Neither was he ethnically local. And the Roman army were the political enemy. So imagine how they went on in public and people dealing with them. But the Romans were not just immigrants. They had actually taken over and Israel was under political uh, and military occupation. So it's amazing who Jesus picked to associate with in public. Have you? <laughs> what about the woman at the well? Some of you are looking at me old-fashioned old already, as we say in Nottingham, where I'm from. The woman at the well, a lady of questionable morals, real broken background, well-known. And he goes up to him broad daylight in a public place and starts talking to her. Jesus associated with unlikely people. And what's more, can I just make a point and go and do your own homework? Don't believe necessarily take it from me. But I'm telling you, after a careful study, Jesus insisted on associating consistently with Samaritans. Which in our national context, would be something like insisting on associating with traveler people. To the point people said, what on earth is wrong with this man? Remember he told the parable of the Good Samaritan who was the hero of the peace in Luke 10. He initiated the conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well, as we've said. He healed 10 people who were leprosy sufferers, and the only one to come back and say thank you was a Samaritan, Luke 17. He included Samaria in the Great Commission, Acts 1.8. Have you noticed that? Isn't it odd? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Bradford <laughs> and to the ends of the earth. Huh? Samaria gets a mention in the Great Commission. And... John 8, 48, Jesus was so associated with them, they accused him 
of being a Samaritan. <laughs> Don't look at me. John 8, 48. They're saying there's, a, there's a, a doubt about you. You're not even a proper Jew. And we never knew who your dad was anyway. And rumors were flying around. We think you, you're a Samaritan. Huh? This is what he was putting up with in public. Verse 2, second part, the centurion's servant was dear to the centurion. So that suggests to me this centurion was a good guy. He held his employees in affection, if you will. And in this almost tribal society in the Middle East, I don't know... They're not the only ones, by the way. <laughs> I'm quote-unquote friends in Northern Ireland. I got back um, sometime this week. Uh, yesterday I got back. Okay. <laughs> and several of them use the word, we're a tribal people. It's a bit like the clans and the Scots. And the Middle, Eastern is a, the Middle East is a very tribal, clannish place where they say, if you're my friend, your enemies are my enemies. And uh, Jesus <coughs> befriended outsiders in that kind of society. So verse 3. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to plead uh, with Jesus to come and heal his servant. And the centurion uh, appealed to Jesus also via Jewish friends, the wasta, the middleman principle. Verse 4. When they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation. Isn't that lovely? And was, he has even built a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. I don't know if anybody's read... Um, the Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And three things stood out to me, three forms of Christian service, which goes out from the filling station and takes the goodness we've received and lets it overspill out there. And Foster has three. The service of hiddenness. And I know there are going to be one or two cakes and things on Dave and Irene's doorstep and, you know, how it goes. That's the new minister and his wife. You know that. But the unseen stuff that you guys as a fellowship are doing for one another is so precious. And then Foster has the service of small things. So the service of hiddenness, the service of small things, which can mean so much. And thirdly, the service of common courtesy. 
the service of common courtesy. And for the last 25 years, part of my role has been um, to be a wasta, a middleman for the Lord between evangelical Christians and Muslims, including hate mail from the Christians, not the Muslims. <laughs> daring to hold in affection those outside um, who are such a threat. But the service of common courtesy. And for all that was against this centurion because of the army he worked for, the fact he wasn't a Jew, uh, yeah, he was a decent guy, um, held his staff in affection, even built a synagogue, shelled out to bless that community. Ultimately, he's not one of us. Verse 6, second part. When Jesus was near the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Isn't it interesting that he's almost had second thoughts? He's called for him, but now he's saying, whoa, 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 no, please, don't come under my roof. You're, he says... <laughs> I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. So he sends uh, his servant and he sends the good word by Jewish friends. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. He's recognizing in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ authority, spiritual authority. He said, I've got men under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. But the, the, the centurion is recognizing a different kind of authority in Jesus. And it's an, an authority which kind of clashes, it's countercultural, it clashes with human assumptions and human concepts of what authority looks like. And one of Jesus' key sound bites goes like this from Matthew 20, 27. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Just like the Son of Man who did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus, I am totally intrigued by because he redefines what authority is. What about John chapter 13 and the Last Supper? Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from the, the, the supper table, slipped his jacket off, contextualizing, took a towel. Now there's the bit that's as powerful today as it was then. He didn't wear a jacket, but he did gird himself with a towel. 
He wrapped it round himself, poured water in a bowl and washed the disciples' feet. Has anyone here ever had their feet washed as an act of... Yeah, I don't know how you felt. Let's chat over coffee. I absolutely hated it. Two reasons. I am incredibly ticklish on my feet. But the deeper reason is probably the more worrying one. Because it goes against all that we are about our dignity and our image, our sense of identity, our sense of status. And I think some of the most powerful moments in my life have been among the Church of the South. I remember being in Sudan one time, South Sudan, where a believer from Muslim background, a young lady, she did a thing that I've never heard of until I watched the film Avatar, where they say, I see you. Remember? Young people. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> she put her hand on my chest and just looked, eyeballed me and said, I see you. And that reception into their world, where you need to get over yourself for being Western, for being a male, for being a visitor, for being a mission executive, and whatever else we think is important about us. And Peter was as uncomfortable as me, because in John 13, Simon Peter protested, um, you know, don't wash, wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't serve you, you have no part with me. Sometimes it's the hardest thing to let a Christian serve you. And I know we live in a culture where if the pastor or the vicar hasn't visited, you haven't had a visit. That's part of the institutionalized Christianity I would like to see disappear. What unbiblical nonsense. Hello? Is that too harsh? In the body life of a fellowship, if the, you know, the meanest sparrow, he sees the meanest sparrow fall, yeah? Help me now, this is going to take longer. <laughs> so if the meanest member of the congregation comes and blesses you in the name of the Lord, receive it. Receive it from him. Verse 9 and 10, let's stop. I'm doing this because um, there is no communion, but I've still got to stop. I've lost that excuse now. <laughs> 9 and 10. When Jesus heard all this, he was amazed and said to the crowd, I have not found such great faith even among my own people, the Jews. Isn't that lovely? And... <laughs> The kind of people that are believing today and in the kind of places they're believing is absolutely stunning. Where all the rules stack up and say, no one's going to believe in that community and bop, 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 people are being baptized all over the place. And here, 
Jesus is amazed. Then the Jews who had been sent to ask Jesus returned to the centurion's house and they found that the servant was fully recovered. So, (laughs) we know we have a God in our own image when even he doesn't like the people we dislike. And if you can bear the words of a Catholic, Francis of Assisi, who said, being the servant of all, I am bound to serve all and to administer the balm-bearing words of Jesus. Can we do that this week as we go out, the people of the Lord who have pulled aside today to be with him, and we go out to serve him? Let's pray together. Going to use the words of Zechariah, father of John Baptist. Lord God, who has visited and redeemed us, your people, grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, may serve you without fear, in holiness and righteousness, all the days of our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.